Hello, friends. This is Joe Bettner, and this is the Eyes on Oklahoma podcast. On today's episode, we are going over Oklahoma's 55-48 victory in Dallas over the Texas Longhorns. OU coming from behind to win the Red River Showdown and to break down that game and to talk some big-picture college football stuff. We have CBS Sports National College Football reporter Shahan Jayaraja on the podcast Great conversation, have been friends with Shahan for a very long time, so it was good getting to catch up with him, and I think you'll enjoy just kind of some uh, overview conversation about the state of Oklahoma's program and what's going on with Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, but also just talking some Big 12. Uh, Shahan and I used to work for a little website called Big12Diehards.com, so some stuff to get into, obviously, with Oklahoma, but as well as Texas and just kind of the state of the conference as we hit this midway point of the season so without further ado here is shahan jayarasha shahan how are you doing sir i'm doing great thank you for having me on i appreciate you for coming on a bit of a hectic weekend in dallas ou texas oklahoma winning 55 to 48 you were there and i'm curious just from someone who has no ties to either university you don't cover these teams on a regular basis obviously being a national college football reporter but what was Saturday like from your perspective it was crazy I mean it's always a crazy game even when it's not a great game but uh you know we we talked about a little off air it feels like no lead is safe in that kind of game and really the cool thing about that game and you don't always get this with neutral site games but specifically with this kind of neutral site game is that when something happens, you know that some part of the crowd is going to go crazy, right? Like no matter what, if something awful happens to a team, if something great happens to a team, somebody's reacting to it. You're going to get a reaction, right? Like when it's at a home stadium, it's the home crowd. And maybe what, you know, the, the, the cool thing about it is maybe the silencer when you silence a home crowd, but this isn't like that, right? Everything's crazy all the time. Um, and it's also just like, it's one of those things, like, I hear that the Rose Bowl is one of those things that you go and it's like, oh, it was that cool. And, um, you know, I feel like that's what this is with the Cotton Bowl, right? Like, it's a game living in Dallas that I always heard about growing up. It's right in the middle of the state fair. And so now being like a, a college football reporter, getting to go to it, see like all the fans coming in and out of the place, seeing a, a bunch of sad Texas fans eating corn dogs at the end. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. So it was, it was a great game. It, it always lives up to the hype. It's amazing to me. I forgot about the whole component that you're from Dallas and you do not have a whole lot of like connection to this football game, but what a, what a game to be at. I mean, Oklahoma comes from behind. I think they were down 28 to seven at one point, obviously 38 to 20 at halftime, but the big story of the day, which it, it, it pains me that this is not like us talking about Kennedy Brooks and B. John Robinson and just this really fun big 12 running back battle. But of course, Oklahoma, it's it's about the quarterback and Caleb Williams coming into the game in the second quarter after just a pretty disastrous start from Spencer Rattler, I think is probably the nicest way of putting it. And I'm, I'm curious, just you, you saw that from the start, the, the way that Texas was able to jump on Oklahoma. I mean, body language is, I feel like, pretty apparent on TV, but it just... From, from where you're sitting, I mean, did, did that OU offense, did that, did that evoke any fear? I mean, it just that, as a whole, there is something that's been lost with this Oklahoma offense. And, and I'm curious what you made of kind of that first uh, quarter and a half, I guess, with Spencer Rattler in the game. 
you know, it's interesting. And I mean, I, th- I think that it's hard not to talk about the second part with the first part, right? So, I mean, yeah. I, I think that one thing that we've seen this year is, I don't think it's a secret that the offensive line has not looked like an Oklahoma offensive line. Uh, there's talent, they can do some things, they just don't do it as well play to play. And I feel like that's been a trend across, across college football this year. I, I feel like even great offensive lines haven't played great, even when you have guys coming back, when you have players coming back. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, it might just be, you know, experiencing. It might be that defensive linemen just have an advantage when they're there for more years. I, I don't know what exactly it is. That might be something to look into. But but Oklahoma has been a victim of that, of course. Um, you know, th- I think that they haven't been very good protecting the quarterback. And the other thing, too, that I really feel like plays into all of this is they've been so reluctant to run the ball, partially because, and, and you've gotten into this for sure in, in your newsletter, but partially because they only have two scholarship running backs before Marcus Major comes back for this game, but also because they can't block, right? And so it felt like it felt like through the first couple of games, it was a lot of like Lincoln Riley sitting back and being like, what can I get away with? What can I get away with not doing through these first couple of games? And it felt like that was the first game against Texas where it felt like, okay, I just have to try everything. I just have to do everything. And we see it with Kennedy Brooks, like you mentioned, getting 25 carries. And the other thing that I'll mention too, right, is that in that first quarter and a half, I mean, everything, they kind of tried to do what they had done the first couple of weeks, you know, putting it a lot on Spencer Rattler's plate, uh, trying to kind of generate run game with short passing and stuff like that. And it's just teams are ready for that. Big 12 defenses especially are prepared to stop that kind of game. They're built to stop the air raid in a lot of ways. Um, and so that just didn't really work. And I think that I think that what you say about Caleb Williams coming in versus Spencer Rattler, because I know that he made some great passes. That's going to be one component of his game, but I think that that's a lesser component of what changed versus just having to account for 11 in the run game, right? Of of the defense having to be prepared for Caleb Williams to run the ball on any given play, especially after that 66-yard touchdown. So, you know, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, I feel like every quarterback controversy for the rest of my life, I'm going to go back to this because it was one of the first that I covered, but like, it, it's like the, the Sam Shane thing at text back in 2017, right? Like Shane can stand back, he can deliver all that sort of stuff. But like when things get muddy, Sam just handled it better. And that's why he won the starting job. Uh, I feel like that's kind of the case of what it's been right now at Texas too, with uh, Casey Thompson kind of being that guy who can thrive when things are muddied up. And I feel that way with Caleb. I I felt like he handled pressure really well. He knew when to run. He knew when not to run. He kept his eyes downfield. And so it's almost more of a fit thing at this point, I feel like, where it's just with with the talent that they've got on the O-line right now and the struggles that they've had, I mean, it it just was night and day when, when you kind of have a quarterback that you have to account for in the run game. It really was, and it makes me think back to a quote, I think, from Spencer Rattler when he first got recruited out of Oklahoma is that he kind of likened his game to being a little bit of Baker, a little bit of Kyler, and that quote has not aged well at all. <laughs> um, but what's funny about that quote is that Caleb embodies that a whole lot more than Spencer Rattler just in terms of he's not as athletic as Kyler no one really is but he is really athletic and I mean that's kind of I feel like I've been saying the same thing over and over again just kind of with with writing and kind of doing a few radio hits here and there but just like OU's needed a running quarterback to kind of mask these offensive line issues and Caleb Williams provides that Um, and the Baker component of it is just, these guys seem to have a lot more fun when they're playing, you know, beside Caleb Williams. And I think that's a bigger conversation and probably one that's unfair of us to really 
I guess, speculate on because I don't know the dynamics of that locker room. And the other part of it, these are 19, 20 year old kids who, you know, are just built like superhumans and we expect them to perform like that, but they're still humans at the end of the day. Um, but what Caleb Williams offered to the offense was just, it was something that Oklahoma is kind of more used to um, in terms of uh, what that offense can be. And it's, I, I like that you bring up the fact that like um, it seemed like defenses were figuring out Oklahoma. And it personally, like I was like, man, is, is the, is the book out on Lincoln Riley? Like, I was just like, is he not who he is? But I, I do think it's that fit. Um, and then when Kelly, Caleb Williams comes into the game, things are very different. Uh, did you, I'm, I'm curious, just, were you as surprised though that Spencer Rattler couldn't dice up that Texas defense? Cause that's not been a particularly good unit. I thought this was a game like a get right game basically for Spencer. Yeah, I thought it definitely could be. It, it feels like, and like you said, I don't want to speculate too much about what's going on in a teenager's head, right? Like it's not fair to him. Uh, he might be 20, you know what I mean? But, um, but I think that it does seem to be in his head a little bit, right? It does seem to be in his head a little bit. Um, just, you know, one thing that we've seen so far this year is that teams have been very comfortable kind of, uh, you know, playing with two deep safeties and daring them to beat uh, to Oklahoma to beat them underneath. And it feels like that kind of was there in this game, even when Texas wasn't playing two deep safeties, uh, you know, that he was still like, okay, I got to get it underneath. I got to get it. There was one play. I can't remember exactly when in the game it was, but it was like early second quarter. I think they were facing, I want to say like third and 10 and Spencer tried. They were like within their own 20 yard line. I think it was. And, and Spencer tried to, throw like a screen basically on third and 10 like and, and that's just the sort of play that you would have never expected to see from him earlier in his career right we would have expected the shot we would have expected the chance I do think that some of it is I think the receivers have only gotten so much separation I, I don't know if they've gotten as much separation as some of the the guys that we've seen come through Oklahoma before but you know obviously they've done enough I, I think that they've done enough to where it should be better than this but it does feel like it's a little in his head that he doesn't expect some things to be there that are starting to open up a little bit more and again I think part of that is uh, the way that teams are playing him that's it's part of it is the is the two safety look part of it is again you don't have to account for him in the run game so they're kind of almost you know doubling up per se uh, somewhere else on the field because they're able to. And so it's, it was a little surprising to me because I thought that maybe what would happen is that maybe Texas would be able to, to beat up the O-line a little, but then you'd get Spencer going outside. You kind of saw a little bit of that with that first pass of the game uh, down, I believe, to, to, to Woods, the receiver, you know, where he gets him kind of right on the sideline out of bounds. And you're like, okay, okay, here we go. This is starting to happen. That looked like a Spencer Rattler pass, but yeah, I mean, it's just difficult to account for somebody kind of being in their head a little bit. And, and I think that probably part of it, right, is that last year he was such a gunslinger that maybe he's been taught all offseason, like settle down, settle down. And maybe he's almost gone too far the other way right now where he doesn't believe in himself downfield. So, again, it's hard to speculate on obviously, a, you know, a young kid's where he's at mentally. But it felt like it was just a little like he was thinking and not reacting like he used to. Yeah, I mean, it's felt like he's been a little bit more cautious, and I, I think that Oklahoma fans can appreciate that because he he throws some really bad interceptions, but it's not like his interceptions are going away. I mean, he's thrown some kind of just weird interceptions, and a lot of the times, and I, I felt like this way last year, just I was like, well, it's not all on him. 
you know, there's a, there's a communication problem clearly between him and the receiver, but at some point you got to think that it can't be every one of OU's receivers that have a communication problem. Um, and he's just made some bad decisions. And that's, I mean, that kind of comes with, with being a quarterback, Caleb Williams eventually is going to throw an interception. And I, you know, I, I will log onto Twitter immediately as that happens, but uh, it's, it's going to, it's not going to be perfect with Caleb Williams, but what he adds to this offense is just something that Oklahoma has desperately needed um, really since Kyler left. I mean, cause Jalen hurts didn't really allow for Oklahoma to do all the things that they want to do as far as like a vertical passing game, but just what he adds is leadership and just his running ability was obviously made up for it in a, in a lot of different ways um, to kind of get into you know, a part of the story that's getting lost. It's, you know, the running backs, Kennedy Brooks has this phenomenal day. And I think this has been brought up quite a bit and just kind of the media I consume at least, but like Kennedy Brooks is just as a physical athlete is one of the most least impressive dudes in college football, probably, but is probably just disproportionately really talented um, as a runner. And it seemed like at times he was not even touched on some runs and he can break tackles, but that last one, the walk-off TD, or I guess it wasn't technically a walk-off, but it, he had just a lot of grass. I'm wondering in this, uh, in this sphere of, of big 12 running backs being really good this season in your mind, where is, where is Kennedy? And I'm, I'm, I, I know it's probably unfair to compare him to like Bijan and, you know, Zach Evans or Brees Hall, but like, I mean, he, he's been so reliable and I'm curious just from an outsider's perspective, what that's looked like. I mean, what, what do you think of when you think of Kennedy Brooks? You know, it is funny. So uh, actually this goes back to a conversation I had on one of my podcasts, the college football playoff show, you know, before the year we went in and we kind of ranked the running back units for all of the, the 10 sort of contenders that we had at the time. Right. And, uh, and I had Oklahoma really high. He had Oklahoma really low because he kind of viewed it as more of a system thing. Whereas I was like, no, man, Kennedy Brooks is that dude, right? Like he's a two-time thousand yard rusher. And the other thing too, right? When, when Kennedy Brooks didn't play last season, we saw how the Oklahoma running game struggled. We saw uh, also, you know, when Ramon J. Stevenson was out for a lot of last year, how much this team struggled when they didn't have that running component. And so, you know, there are definitely things about, okay, well, this, the Oklahoma system's really good. Usually the Oklahoma's a really good offensive line, but I felt like Saturday was a great showcase for the fact that, it's not just a system thing with Kennedy Brooks. Like he is just a really, really good runner. The thing that I love about him is that he's so patient, right? Like I think that we think so much about uh, explosion. I think we think so much about physicality and like, he has some of those things. Like he, they're not elite characteristics necessarily, but like, I think that sometimes we just overlook the idea of, getting to the hole of seeing when it's going to open up of seeing the play develop in front of him. Cause, cause running the football, right? Like it's easy to, to think about, okay, well, just a guy who can run really fast can run around guys can break through guys. Uh, a lot of the time, what makes a great running back is just somebody who can understand when there's going to be an opportunity and, you know, football is an 11 on 11 game. And so like these these sort of blocking schemes are complicated, but when you kind of just understand what you're supposed to look for, I think it can make you a much more effective player. The flip side of this, for example, that I might mention is like Leonard Fournette's one of the most talented physical specimens we've ever seen. He's always struggled with that, right? That's not something he's especially good at. Whereas I think Kennedy Brooks is really good at that. You know, comparing him to the rest of the big 12 is, is tough. Like you said, 
I think Bijan right now is the best running back in the Big 12. I don't think that that's the oh, hottest of there, There's no question about it. I mean, like, <laughs> he won the Heisman in the first half. Right. And then, I mean, he didn't lose it. But, like, it's kind of hard yeah. to, like, point back to those highlights now that right. he saw what happened. No, he's lived up to the hype. The other thing, too, that I'll say about him is that I do think that that Texas has done a better job of understanding how to use him, not just the quantity. Everybody knows about the quantity of not giving him the ball. But I think that they've gotten him the ball in situations that – match him well but I mean I think right after that I mean he I think Kennedy Brooks is right in the conversation I mean this is somebody and again we and this is true of Zach Evans too like we haven't seen a lot of him right this is his first game with over 15 carries all season long hopefully that'll be something that continues forward but I I think that we saw you know when he has the opportunity to be patient when he has the opportunity to play himself into rhythm a little bit like he's as good as anybody I mean I think that Brees Hall has a worse situation and that's something that's maybe kept him down a little bit is just the fact that like Iowa State's offense kind of sucks right now. (laughs) You know, that Brock Purdy's really regressed, that the offensive line isn't very good, that they have zero wide receivers who are worth playing. Uh, But, you know, I mean, I I do think that Kennedy Brooks, you know, what he's been able to do, what his production's been, I I think that he proved, you know, you can lean on him. Because I I did expect, I will say, right, I expected him to get closer to 20 carries. I, I thought that they'd work in Eric Gray a little more, right? We've seen Eric Gray earlier in the year but like they didn't need to right like I mean if he keeps averaging nine yards a carry you won't need to do that so he's up there I mean I think that if this is something heading forward that they're going to lean on and feel comfortable leaning on it changes everything in my opinion oh I mean the the ceiling for this team I think was raised on Saturday and obviously Lincoln has not committed to either Williams or, or Rattler but with what you saw in the second half for Oklahoma I mean does this feel like the the OU Big 12 death machine again I mean I'm curious where do you see this thing going after what you saw on Saturday so I this game against TCU is really interesting for that reason right because the second half OU looks like the team that I picked to win the national championship before the season right like it looked like what it was supposed to look like um I want to see them still do it right. Cause they still haven't won a game against an FBS opponent by more than a score this season. And that's Isn't that crazy. Wild? That's crazy <laughs> for a team. That's number four in the country right now. And they deserve to be number four in the country. Everybody else has faltered, but like they haven't beaten a team by more than a score this year, other than Western Carolina. Right. And so I do think that I want to see them continue it for a game. And this is a favorable matchup because TCU cannot stop the run worth craft. They are terrible at it. They actually, I, I was part of the reason that I've got these numbers front of front of head was that I, I'm writing the like social SEO post for a uh, uh, for Oklahoma versus TCU like two hours before doing this. But like TCU ranks number 116 in rush defense, and they allow 5.2 yards per carry. So like, if Oklahoma is not going to go and drop 50 points on them then like, no, I don't think that they're, they're right. Right. Like, I don't think that they're ready. I do expect that they're going to be able to do that. I do expect they're going to be able to move the ball. I actually think that this is a great opportunity for them to play both quarterbacks. I'm not sure if they're going to do it, but I do think that this is an opportunity to give them both some opportunities. Um, Cause this is not a, this is not a usual Gary Patterson defense. We're used to seeing this team be really good stopping the run and they are terrible at it right now. So um, I think it's a great get right opportunity. Same sort of deal. I mean, TC is a very one dimensional team. We don't have to get into the Max Duggan discourse, but like they, they are really good running the ball and they're okay passing the ball. Right. And so I think it's a good opportunity for, for Oklahoma to kind of assert its will. And the other thing that you say too, right. Is like, yes, the first six games have not been a picnic. They have not been as good as anyone expected. But like when you're six and oh, 
you can start now, right? Like it's okay to wipe that slate clean and kind of really get going in the second half of the year. So I want to see that before I kind of, I guess, crown them as the team that I thought that they were going to be. But the second half of that game showed me what I thought that I was going to see. Um, and I'd love to see it kind of continue forward this week. Well, I think, I mean, you we talked a little bit about this off air, just as far as like the next month for Oklahoma, it's super favorable. And if there's a time to insert a new quarterback, this is, this is it. I mean, TCU, like you mentioned, the defense is, is not as good as Gary Patterson is accustomed to. I'm assuming, and I, I believe you probably watch more TCU football than I, I'm assuming Max Duggan still can't complete a forward pass. Is, is that still the case? They gave him the opportunity to throw 10 passes last weekend and he completed eight of them. So I don't know, maybe he's turned a corner. <laughs> you have to re reshake up the all big 12 voting. Um, I, I don't expect this weekend to, I mean, I, I say all this because like Tulane, Nebraska uh, was not supposed to be as hard as it was. I do think that the Nebraska win is aging a little bit better, um, but I think that this next month is super important whether it is Spencer Rattler or Caleb Williams, and it kind of goes both ways with the two of them. Like this is a good month to kind of reset your six and zero. like, OU drops a game. They're usually not supposed to. And I think that's just kind of a product of um, where the program is and not necessarily just uh, an indictment on the talent, but they haven't quite reached that like Alabama Clemson. We are going to beat the, and I guess Clemson's a bad example this year, but we're we're going to and Alabama's a bad example. They just lost. <laughs> how how did Texas A and M of all teams? How are they the? And this is honestly, it was funny Saturday night, but the, the it, it's just like it, it's that it's that onion meme. Like the worst guy you know just made a great point, <laughs> and it it's it sucks that it was Texas A and M. I'm very fine saying that because I don't think there's really even a lot of credentialed media that like particularly love Texas A&M, but uh, Oklahoma has not had that beat down quite yet. Um, and I, I, I would assume if it's not this weekend, they'll do that to Kansas and Lawrence the week after um, they might beat Texas tech, like 85 to like 56, but it'll still be a 30 point win, but um, going to be interesting to see where Oklahoma goes, uh, you know, goes forward. I do want to ask you before you uh, get out of here, just Texas. I, I don't want to say they're, they're, back but they seem as close to back as ever and i think that's good for for not only ou texas but i think it's good for college football to have a villain that's actually capable of winning games because it just kind of gets sad after a little bit but I i'm curious what you saw from casey thompson Bijan robinson the whole sark experience i mean it it is that thing headed in the right direction is that the team you expect to be opposite ou in the Big 12 championship game, because I'm just gonna I'm just gonna write them in until they don't make it. And it's probably a little bit homerish of me, but I just it happens every year. But is, is that the team that is Texas the team that you still think shows up in Arlington in a, in a month or a month and a half? So the thing that's gonna be interesting is this upcoming weekend, right? They play against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma true, State's yeah. undefeated. I, I don't know that they've looked that good, right? But they've done it, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of like Oklahoma. They've made it through. They've won all the games that they're supposed to win. And the other thing, too, that you say is that, you know, beating Kansas State, okay. You know, I mean, I think that Kansas State's obviously being without Skylar Thompson, not necessarily the best version of Kansas State, uh, but then going and beating Baylor the week after that, two teams that at the time were ranked in the top 25 and winning both those games by double figures. Like, they're kind of rounding into form a little bit. Uh, I'm really interested to see Texas against that Oklahoma State defense because, 
that defense is a problem, man. Like it is, it is really, really good. And so I, I definitely am curious to see how they do. I, if they lose that game, I mean, they have two losses in Big 12 play and they have tiebreak losses against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, right? That makes things a little more difficult. So I would probably have them a little bit closer to the pack than maybe uh, other people would. Um, that's not to say that I don't think that they can go and win and whatever, right? Like, I think that they can. They can definitely be that second team. Uh, but I think that the number two spot's really competitive right now. I, I still think that Iowa State is time to pull it together. I think that Oklahoma State right now is in a great position to do it. Honestly, I think obviously Baylor has a, a chance if they kind of keep rounding into form as well. And so it's going to be competitive down the stretch. The, do, the thing that I do like about what Texas is doing right now, and, and this is something that Sark said before the year, is that I think that they're doing a really good job of leaning on their good players. Because that is one thing that we'd see with Tom Herman is like... Tell me how that he works. Tried, <laughs> yeah, he, he tried to spread it out. And like this past week, I think we saw, right, like, he leaned on Bijan. He leaned, he leaned on Xavier Worthy. And I think that paid off in a lot of big ways. The thing that's also going to be interesting too, though, is that I don't know how it's going to be when like, because teams are going to be able to take away, I think, Xavier Worthy a little bit. He's a true freshman, right? It's a lot to put on him. And the other thing too, is that we don't have necessarily at this point, the information, but like Jordan Whittington might be out for a couple of weeks. And so if Whittington's out, well, then it's like, all right, you got one, maybe special receiver. You got a special running back. I'm curious if they can kind of develop some of those other guys behind them. Cause I think that's, well, I mean, obviously that's the thing at Alabama, right? Is like, if you, if you put everything into taking away Devontae Smith, well, there's Najee Harris. If you put away everything into taking away those two guys. Well, there's Jalen Waddle, there's John Mechie. Right. And so I think that they're still in the process of developing those complementary pieces and guys who are going to be stars, maybe in this offense. Um, you know, their defense is a disaster right now uh, for a lot of reasons. They're, they're, I think, ninth in the Big 12 in total defense and scoring defense. So, like, it's a little bit of a process there. Um, I do think that they have a chance to definitely make it to, to Arlington to make it back to that Big 12 championship game. But I'm probably not as confident as you that maybe we can pencil them in until they're out. Um, well, I, I was going to say, I, I, I'm penciling in Oklahoma, um, not, not yes. necessarily Texas. Um, yeah. it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do and. Honestly, like if, if it is Oklahoma State that is able to come out with a win on Saturday and it is just this kind of, you know, collision course toward Arlington for both these teams, Bedlam is the last game of the season for, for those two, which would not be, at least in my opinion, the most fun thing in the world to see the same team play each other back to back weeks. But uh, I mean, if, if it is Texas, man, I cannot imagine the juice in, in Jerry world, it'll be amazing. Now uh, it would be for, for Texas, at least like you're probably not going to go up 28, seven this time. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but you, you still, I, I think that would be a fun rematch if it were to happen, but the big 12 looks as wide open as ever. And obviously Oklahoma seems to be figuring it out. So that's why a little bit of raised confidence that they they can get there. Cause I think there was a little bit during the, that stretch of like Nebraska and West Virginia is like, I don't know if this OU team is going to get to where they want to be, but they look to be in a much better place. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to uh, see how it all plays out. Shahan, any other just college football thoughts you had from this weekend that you want to share to a bunch of Oklahoma fans? yeah i mean i'm very excited for that uh for that bedlam game you know what they say about bedlam no one knows what's going to happen oklahoma might win by a lot oklahoma might win by a little so i i'm curious to see uh what happens there i and i'm curious if they rematch in the big 12 title game 
do those rules apply? Who knows? Probably, almost certainly, but you know, who knows? It's uh, uh, <laughs> no, sorry, I just already cut you off, but I was I was just gonna say, just like it, it seems like OSU, and just just from recent experience, just like they're they are a lot better away against OU away from Stillwater. Something about them going to Norman brings out like a different side of them, but. I don't know. It's it, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if this OSU team is for real. I, I've seen them in person twice this year, and they didn't look great offensively. No. But they also were dealing with some uh, some issues with Spencer Sanders, which isn't like a he's better. I think I've convinced myself he is better than Shane Illingworth, but not by much. Yeah, very much. It's, it might honestly be just because he can like run for his life if he wants to. But uh, no, I mean, I, I think that the other thing that you say about college football right now is that it looks like right now, George is this consensus number one team. Right. But like, yeah. I, that's not a bad place to be, you know, because when it's Alabama, that's that number one consensus team. You're kind of just like, if it's their year, like, oh man, that might just be trouble, right? Like, I don't think anybody feels that way about Georgia, right? Like that they're just some unbeatable behemoth. And so like, I think that, uh, I, I think that this is as wide open a year. And I said this heading into the year, this is wide open a year, I think, as there's been in college football, I didn't see Clemson necessarily being that bad, but like, this is as wide open a year, I think, as there's been, I mean, we could be in a position where again, like I was going to be right there at the end for a college football playoff spot. I think Ohio state looks very vulnerable. Uh, Alabama's already lost a game to a team that really should not have been able to beat them. Um, you know, Georgia, I, I think that they haven't really, really been tested. They've played some decent teams, but I don't think that they played anybody who, is good enough to maybe have beaten them. Right. And so yeah. it's, it's a really wide open year. And for that reason, just being able to survive and get to six wins, that's enough. That, that's all that Oklahoma needed to do. They just needed to get through their schedule. They needed to win games. And if they continue to do that, uh, you just give yourself a chance in the playoff. And, and there isn't a 2020 Alabama, there isn't a 2019 LSU. Those teams aren't there this year maybe Georgia becomes it I don't I don't know at this point right but I don't think that there's an unbeatable team that's going to be able to put anybody away so I I don't I don't know how confident I feel in my Oklahoma national title pick from before the season but it's still there right like there's still reasons to believe that this team could come together and be the best team in the country so I'm excited to watch uh I I want to say that we've had 40 upsets of top 25 teams so far this season which is the most in the AP poll era, which is crazy. So like, it's been a fun year, just surviving to this point and advancing. That's enough. It's, it's going to be fun looking back at this uh, when we're having beers in Arlington before OU and Iowa face off in the playoff <laughs> semifinal. So I'm uh, Oh, I was really hoping that the dog wouldn't bark uh, during the podcast. And just at the last second, uh, just kind of came in hot and uh, was ready to bark. I don't know if you can actually hear that or not, but I, I can, I can. Okay, great. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that he could make his appearance on the podcast uh, as he as he tends to do sometimes. But Shahan, I appreciate you for coming on the first episode of the Eyes on Oklahoma podcast. Uh, Shahan Jayaraja of CBS Sports. And with that, that concludes the first episode of the Eyes on Oklahoma podcast. We appreciate you for making us a part of your day. Make sure you're subscribed to the Eyes on Oklahoma newsletter by going to eyesonoklahoma.com. The Eyes on Oklahoma podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. And if you're using Apple, we would love it if you left a five-star rating and review. Helps get the word out about the show as we are just embarking on this podcast journey. Once again, thank you guys for listening to this first episode. And we will be back next week. Until then, my name is Joe Bettner, and you'll have a good one.